The scripture this morning is from John 13, 1 to 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he, was, and that he had come from the Father and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So a beautiful, beautiful morning. Uh, and I feel like we are so blessed to have Dave and Kate with us, uh, visiting, and, visiting us. And uh, I pray that the Lord will continue using them as he has been using them all this time. Uh, where they are serving the Lord. So let's start with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And you gave it for our edification. You gave it for our correction. You gave it for our training in righteousness. You gave it so that we can understand 
the way of salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. By your spirit, make your word to do all these things for us by faith. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Over the next few weeks, we will dive into the final hours of Jesus' life on earth. And things really start to shift in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Until now, we have been reading about all these amazing miracles Jesus performed that show that he was the Son of God. From chapter 1 to chapter 12 is called the Book of Signs or the Book of Miracles. But now we are in chapter 13 in the upper room where Jesus had this really intimate moment with his 12 disciples. And this, this section from chapter 13 to chapter 17 is known as the Book of Glory. I like how John Stott described this section, chapter 13 to chapter 17. He called it, if scripture is a temple, chapter 13 to 17 is the inner sanctuary of the temple. And as we come to this scripture reading for this morning, we are going to enter to the inner sanctuary of the heart of Jesus. And we will find an extraordinary display of his love through this passage. So chapter 13, verse 1, start by saying, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart, that his hour had, to come, had come to depart out of this world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. In this important moment, Jesus knew that the hour of his sacrifice was near. But his heart overflowed with a deep love for his disciples. And it is important to note the meaning or to understand the meaning of the phrase, knowing that his hour had come, because this phrase shed sheds light on Jesus' mindset as he approaches the cross. As we understand this passage, this phrase, we can gain insight into the thoughts and emotions that consume Jesus during this crucial moment in history. Some people mistakenly perceive Jesus' death as mere martyrdom or a passive acceptance of unavoidable fate. It needed to happen and Jesus was okay. 
If it's happening, it happened. But this is not accurate. The New Testament, and when we read the Gospels, shows that Jesus was aware of his divine mission and his divine purpose. He loved, his love for all of us, though his soul was troubled, drove him forward. He remained focused on the ultimate goal as he saw beyond the cross to his reward. And his reward is you and me. But as we continue in the second verse, we find something else that shows us the deep love of Jesus for us. It says, during supper, in verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is a significant point here. Despite, despite knowing Judas' betrayal, Jesus continued to take care of his disciples. Nothing could stop Jesus from showing his love for them, not even the evil plan of the devil. He was aware of what was going to happen. He was aware of what Judas was doing at that moment, what he was thinking about that moment. But Jesus was with, with them in that room. He was not trying to hide himself. He was not trying to run away. He was there because he loved them. And as we see Jesus' love, he knew it was time for him to become our Savior. And he was happy to take on the task. He was happy to go to the cross because he loves us. But it's some, there is something else in verse 3 that shows Jesus' deep love. In verse 3 says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he did something that we are going to see later. But knowing that the Father had given him all things and that he came from God and that he was going to God. We can see here the deep love of Jesus for his disciple was so big that even though he was fully conscious of his divine origin, of his divine destiny, he condescended to serve those who were his natural inferiors. Like you and like me. The deep love of Jesus made the Lord of glory to become the servant of men. As Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says beautifully, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He was in the form of God. He didn't grasp to that form, and he came to earth. And being in the in being in, in, in the form of human, like, like all of us, he took the form of a servant. And that is exactly what it follows in our scripture passage in chapter 13. If we read verse 3 again to, to verse 5, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, notice, he rose from supper. Being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, the Son of God, displayed an extraordinary act of humility by taking a basin and towel to wash the feet of his disciples. During Jesus' time, foot washing was considered a demeaning task, typically performed by a slave for guest who had walked through the dirt and grim of the streets. However, pay attention to this, since the last supper was held in the private home and likely in a secret gathering, there was no slave or servant present to fulfill this responsibility. So in those days, it was common for the early guest or the first one to arrive to the house, to that house. It was common that he, the first one, will take the responsibility of food washing if there was no servant around. So we don't know who was the first to arrive there. I'm guessing it was not Jesus. But the disciples were more concerned with their own ambitions of achieving position of power in the future kingdom. A similar account in the Gospel of Luke reveals that the disciples were jealous and were arguing over who would hold the most prominent position after Jesus left. So, my dear friends, none of them were interested in washing the feet in that supper. 
They were eager to fight for a throne, but unwilling to pick up the towel. But Jesus, but Jesus, the King of kings, showed remarkable humility by performing an extraordinary act that went against cultural norms. He was the teacher. He was the rabbi. He was not supposed to be doing what he was doing there. But taking the role of a servant, being in human form, taking the form of, of, of a human man, he took the role of a slave and of a servant, and he kneels before his disciples, and he tenderly washed their feet. What a beautiful servant. What a beautiful savior. The contrast is striking. The one with all the power and authority willingly assumes the posture of a servant, revealing the depths of his love for humanity. As the disciples remain preoccupied with their ambitions, Jesus sets an enduring example of selflessness, teaching us that true love in action requires us to humbly serve one another as he did for us. And when Peter, as usually, raised right, Peter, the one, as, as Peter hesitated, said, No. Jesus patiently explained that his act of love was not just about cleansing their feet, but symbolizing the cleansing of their souls through his upcoming sacrifice on the cross. That was the meaning of washing their feet. And we read in verse 8, when Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Reminds me uh, of the movie, The Lord of the Ring, when he, when Gandalf is in the middle of a bridge and uh, no, a big demon wants to cross and Handel, Handalf says, you shall not pass. That was exactly what Peter was saying in the, in the original, says, no, never shall you wash my feet until eternity. How similar I am to Peter. Not in the good, in the good way, but in the bad way. And so Jesus replied to him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And again, Peter opened his mouth. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, all of, all of me. And Jesus' response was that those who have been fully washed 
do not need to do anything more than wash their feet. And this is a valuable lesson for all of us. Here, Jesus is introducing the concept of union and communion with God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we experience union with God. When we have been fully washed, we become united with God. We belong to God. We belong to his family, and we are now his children. This unbreakable bound grants us the assurance of salvation and eternal life. That is the union with God. However, Jesus highlights another aspect. He's talking now about communion with God. Just as a traveler on a dusty road needs their feet cleansed, our daily journey through life can lead to sin and spiritual dirt. This can disrupt our communion with God, not our union but our communion with God. The communion may become clouded by the stain of our sins and our transgressions. And have you noticed that when you lose communion with God, you lose the joy of your salvation? You lose the ability to live fully the, the life that Christ is giving you. And when that happened, bitterness, discontent, doubt, lust can take out over, can take over our hearts very, very easily. Have you have experienced that? But that is why we need the washing of our feet constantly. We are not losing our union with God, but we are losing our communion with God. We need ongoing cleansing through the blood Jesus shed on the cross. This is the double purpose of the cross. In the cross, it has a double purpose. is to give us union with God and to give us a communion with God at the same time. And that's what Jesus was telling to his disciples, specifically to Peter in verse 10. The one who has bath does not need to wash except for his feet. But it's completely clean. And you are clean, Peter. But he closes the verse saying, but not every one of you. Judas was the one who was not clean. His uncleanness was in his heart, not in his feet. Even when Jesus washed Judas' feet, he was not washed in his heart. And Judas here serves as an example for us 
to examine our own hearts and to remember even what Peter, the same that was in the upper room with Jesus, was saying then later in the second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. Be sure that what you need is to wash your feet. Because if you think that you just need some washing in your feet and not a cleansing, a completely cleansing, you are wrong. And so Jesus didn't stop at washing feet. He gave an eternal command to love one another. Notice what verses 12 says. In 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and reassumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have watched your feet, you also ought to watch one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I, as I have done, as I have done to you. Jesus' love in action sets the standard for us. Thus, it is not enough to merely, merely claim love. Our love must be tangible and reflective on the love of Christ. The love of Christ should reach out for the hurting, to embrace those who are in need, to those who are lonely, to lift up those who are crushed. Our love must be genuine and overflowing in reflecting the love of our Savior who laid down his life for us. But let me tell you uh, 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 something that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful not just to show these acts of kindness, of acts of love, of, or acts of service. We need to make sure that the meaning of doing the act of love is to show them Jesus. Because if they do not have Jesus, they will not have union and community communion with God and that is going to be a waste then we can give them the world but they will not have nothing we need to make sure that this beautiful family that is coming they will not just receive the material things that we, ha we are preparing for them, but they need to receive the message that through Jesus Christ, they can have communion, union and communion with God. As a church, we should pray for them. 
to give them both things. That's the invitation that Jesus is extending to us. As you, as you saw me doing, do it as well. But don't forget why I was doing that. It was just a symbol. I was pointing to the cross. Jesus was pointing to the cross. So let me give you three practical applications. First, Let's embrace humble service. Jesus, we should be willing to lower ourselves and serve others. Even in tasks, in tasks that may seem lowly and beneath us. Amy Carmichael, a missionary, when in India, when she wanted to make sure if, if, if a person was converted to Jesus, she would ask that converted person to go and serve someone that was in a lower caste in India. Because she knew if they were doing that, they were really disciples of Jesus. So took opportunities to help others, but offer them Jesus as well. Serve the Lord in every need that you find in this place, but don't forget that the important thing is to present Jesus. Second, love beyond circumstances. Jesus' love for his disciple was unwavering, even in the face of betrayal and impeding suffering. He was willing to go to the cross. We should strive to love others unconditionally. And third, Prioritize communion with God. The lesson of Peter's response to Jesus' foot washing reminds us that while we may already be in union with God through faith in Christ, sin can disrupt our communion with him. Therefore, it is crucial to regularly seek God's communion by dedicating Regular time to pray. A regular time to read and meditate on God's word. To regularly attend to worship service, confessing among each other our sins and looking for forgiveness and repentance. And as well, demonstrating Christ's love to others. Remembering what Peter was telling us. If you practice these qualities, if you practice these things, you will never fall. We follow Jesus' example. We will be on track to receive all what God has promised us. Through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
May this profound example of love in action inspire us to embrace humble service and love one another unconditionally. Help us, Lord, to prioritize communion with you, seeking cleansing from sins and maintaining a close relationship with our Savior and with his people, the church. And may our hearts overflow with your love, reaching out to those who are in need of material things, but in need of the precious message of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and your feet, to serve them and to present them and to introduce them to the beautiful family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and let's hear this beautiful song and let's sing together this beautiful song that...